from the Wicked Awesome City of Boston. Welcome to episode three of the Skeptical Junkyard. There's been a delay since my last podcast due to some things happening at home and a back injury I actually need to have physical therapy for. But not only am I going to get back on schedule, I'm going to push for that weekly goal I had when I started. So lucky for everyone that's not listening, you'll be able to not listen to me every week. <laughs> on this podcast, we'll talk about skepticism, religion, pseudoscience, politics, and anything in the news, on social media, or just on my mind that I think needs to be discussed, dissected, mocked, just plain screamed, fuck you at. In this week's episode, we'll discuss paying for things you don't want in healthcare. Donny Jr.'s emails, a main lawmaker tells Trump to fuck himself, the white genocide, and an attack on free speech. So strap on in, let's get on with the show. Oh, bitch, bitch, bitch. When it comes to the healthcare debate, this whole I don't want to pay for X argument has to stop. First, you're not paying for everything in a healthcare insurance policy as a line item. You're paying for a policy that has items you do use, will use, may use, and will never use. That's how any membership works. It's like telling your gym you don't want to pay for the steam room because you'll never use it. And just because you'll never use it doesn't mean that somebody you care about might not need it now or in the future. When you're saying that, you're really saying, I don't give a fuck about anyone but me. And that includes your friends and family because you have no idea what healthcare everyone in your life needs. So just be honest and say you only care about yourself. Don't tell me you care about veterans, because if you did, you'd want as many things covered under healthcare as possible, as you'll never know what healthcare a vet will need. It's not about what you want to pay for, it's about what does the most net good for the country and what will help the people in most need of that help. When this comes up, it's always about female birth control and abortion. Making birth control more available lowers unwanted pregnancies, which will cut down on the abortions you hate so much, which also cuts down on the cost of insurance it takes to carry, give birth to, and raise a child for 25 years. You can keep your child on your health care until they're 25. Pregnancy is also hard on the mother, so she needs health care as a direct result of being pregnant. And birth control also cuts down on STDs, which cuts down on pain for treatment, some of which last a lifetime. And the biggest group it impacts, unwanted pregnancies for girls under 18, which means it cuts down on high school dropouts and increases the odds of her going to college, getting a degree, getting a good paying job, and not needing government assistance for life for both her and her child. Abortion cuts down on much of this as well. Obviously not STDs, and there are some medical expenses, but not as much as nine months of pregnancy and 25 years of raising a child. The truth is, it's all about controlling women's reproductive rights. I don't see you out there saying you don't want to pay for Viagra or vasectomies, even though Viagra not only does nothing to bring the cost of healthcare down, it in fact increases the cost of healthcare, as it increases the likelihood of a pregnancy, and the more sexually active you are, the more likely you are to get an STD. So a woman controlling her reproductive rights you don't want to pay for, but a man is okay. When you start demanding not to pay for things like Viagra and vasectomies, I'll consider your point. Until then, you're a hypocrite. In conclusion, if you don't think you should have to pay for female birth control or abortions, but you're okay paying for 25 years and 9 months of the resulting child's health care, the added cost of health care to the mother, STD care that may last a lifetime, all of which will directly impact the cost of health care more than covering birth control will a thousand times over. Plus, you don't care about the pregnant 15-year-old and the real struggle she's going to face to make it, and not only will this add cost onto health care, but it will add a societal cost as well, as it decreases the likelihood she'll be as successful as she would if she waited until she got older to be pregnant, and are okay with paying for a man to control his reproductive rights, then just admit that it's about controlling women's reproductive rights and has nothing to do with cost. At least I'd respect your honesty. P.S. I also find it funny that the ones that are most loud about not paying for birth control and abortions are always also the ones that are most loud about not paying for government assistance when a woman gets pregnant and needs help. It's about punishing sexually free women. That's what it's always been about. 
got mail. This story is from, well, fucking everywhere. So Donnie Jr., Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that Donald Trump Jr. is caught up in a scandal. It was learned that he met with a person who claimed to represent the Kremlin and was offering private information that Donald Trump could use against Hillary Clinton. Now, he released the email conversations pertaining to this meeting for transparency. And I love the journalists that have been working on this case, amazed after putting months of work into this story, to have DJ just release them himself. What the hell happened here? It's funny the trumpets are praising him for his transparency, but he only released the emails because he learned the New York Times was going to break the story with the content of the emails, so he figured he'd get them out first as he knew there was a mindless segment of the population that would just accept that if he released them, then there's nothing to hide. Okay, people, move along. There's nothing to see here. So here's the facts of the case. Want to hear the facts of the case? DJ was contacted by a friend that said he had a contact at the Kremlin that was offering private information that could hurt Hillary, and they wanted to offer it to him as a show of support for his father, and that Donnie liked the idea and agreed to meet. Those are the facts, as Donnie Jr. himself has laid them out. Just the facts, ma'am. Now, first he claimed that nothing came of the meetings, basically suggesting that since nothing came of it, what's the problem? It's like saying, sure, I met with a hitman and had my wife killed, but nothing came out of it, so what's the problem? By the way, the fact that my wife is dead is just a coincidence. <laughs> coincidence? I think not! Then he made the claim that it was all a setup by a reporter. Set me up over a woman. A woman! So it's all that reporter's fault and the person he met with wasn't even connected to the Kremlin, so no harm, no foul. That's like a person on to catch a predator saying, sure, I came here to fuck a 12-year-old girl, but I was set up by Chris Hansen, so he's the bad guy. By the way, she wasn't 12 anyway, so what's the problem? If you wouldn't buy that from a perv on to catch a predator, but you buy that same story from DJ, then you're a fucking hypocrite. The email starting June 2016 were between Donald Trump Jr. and Rob Goldstone, a British-born former tabloid reporter and entertainment publicist. Goldstone told Donald Trump Jr. that he was writing on behalf of a mutual friend, one of Russia's biggest pop stars, Emin Agalarov. Excuse me if I didn't pronounce that last name correctly. The initial email sent to DJ by Goldstone contains this little bit of lovely. The Crown Prosecutor Russia met with his father, Eris, this morning and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but it's part of Russia and its government support of Mr. Trump. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Now, DJ claims he can't be held responsible for what emails he receives, but then he replied, If it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. But you are responsible for what you said. And it goes through several emails setting up the meeting. Then DJ responds to the story with this. I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. To everyone, in order to be totally transparent, insert beat the times to it, I am releasing the entire email chain of my emails with Rob Goldstone about the meeting on June 9th, 2016. The information they suggested they had about Hillary Clinton I thought was political opposition research. So he's claiming that he thought the information was obtained legitimately through internet searches, but the emails he released clearly say they were official documents. So DJ thought the Russian government made their documents available on the internet? <laughs> Alrighty then. The woman, as she has said publicly, was not a government official. But you didn't know that when you took the meeting. Again, the girl wasn't really 12 years old. And as we said, she had no information to provide and wanted to talk about adoption policy and the Magnitsky Act. <laughs> we wanted illegal drugs, but the cop didn't have any, so there's no problem. 
So DJ is basically saying this lawyer he met with wanted the Trump administration to get rid of that act in exchange for info. This occurred before the current Russian fever was in vogue. <laughs> yeah, I was including with Russia before it was cool. I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> As Rob Goldstone has said today in the press, the entire meeting was, quote, the most inane nonsense I ever heard, and I was actually agitated by it. Don't waste my motherfucking time! Now let that sink in. They're agitated by the meeting? Why? Well, probably because they were expecting official documents from the Russian government to influence the American election and didn't get them. Now, DJ is claiming that he was just an innocent rube set up by a reporter, who was a family friend, by the way, and he thought the secret meeting with the foreign government was about giving him official documents from the Russian government that he naively thought were obtained through political opposition research to influence the American election, which he apparently thought was okay. Using the principle of charity, he's saying, I'm just an idiot and had no idea what was happening or how the world works. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots too. So you need to accept that he's an idiot if you're going to say he's not guilty. So stop retweeting his garbage and praising his insights since you think he's a fucking idiot. The trumpets on wavering faith in their Messiah make me cry and laugh at the same time. Not only have there been the expected responses, hey, he didn't get any, so what's the problem? What the problem is? It was a setup, so he really wasn't soliciting a 12-year-old. <laughs> and obviously the most common and expected deflect, 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 well, Obama, well, Hillary. <laughs> but there's been one that caught me off guard. It was Donald Jr., not the president. Wow. Think about that for one second. Not only does that mean you have to believe that Donald and his son weren't working together during the campaign, but you're basically saying that he's guilty, but it's okay because it wasn't his father. It completely throws DJ under the bus. And as bad as this looks, remember, this is just what we know based off the fact that these emails exist. Most of the correspondence between the Trump campaign and Russia would have been done in person. If this is what they felt was okay to talk about over email, what did they think was too private for that medium? Think about that. Don't call me stupid. Oh, right! To call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people! I've known sheep that could outwit you. This story is from foxnews.com, July 12, 2017. Maine lawmaker shocking. I am shocked. Shocked! Well, not that shocked. Anti-Trump Facebook rant draws outrage. You are outrageous. A Maine state lawmaker made his opinion of President Trump crystal clear in a social media post Tuesday calling him a joke, a rapist, and a crude anatomical term before wrapping up his screed with what could be interpreted as a death threat. I love the fact that Fox News can't say he called him a dick, but whatever. Language, please. In a Facebook exchange, State Rep Scott Hammond posted a rambling diatribe using profanity and explicit language to refer to Trump and his supporters. Quote, Trump is a half-term president most, especially if I ever get within 10 feet of that pussy, Hammond wrote on Facebook, but Fox News, they couldn't actually write pussies, they had to replace the U with an asterisk. <laughs> Apparently this is a 12-year-old's paper, but whatever. He also went after Trump and saying, I can't deal with you ignorant people anymore. And he started getting all this backlash by snowflake trumpets saying things like, are you threatening to kill the president? <laughs> then this douche nozzle, Keith Hansen, some inconsequential conservative talk show host in New Hampshire, gets all teary-eyed and says, this is a Democrat, a liberal who's threatening the president. Then he grabs a screenshot and sends it to Hammond's bosses. 
which is funny because whenever you hold a conservative responsible for his words, it's anti-free speech. That's pretty weird. Then Hammond messages Hansen, bitching about him sending the screenshot to his boss and says, quote, I'm sorry if the truth triggered you so much. <laughs> Too much for a snowflake? Then don't read the comments between me and my childhood friend. <laughs> I love that the right that just loves to mock snowflakes being triggered, but they are the quickest to get triggered. I guess there's this following their leader as Donald Trump is the world's biggest snowflake and everything triggers him. The profanity-laden thing is confusing, too. What Fox News posted, the only profanity he uses is at one point he indirectly calls a Trumpet a dumb fuck. You're a dumbass. And that apparently is a childhood friend. Pussy isn't really profanity, and I guess at some point he says pricks, but is that really profanity either? On that topic, Hammond said, quote, The only swear words in the image you posted were pricks and Trump. <laughs> Then this conservative talk show host is something that gave me the giggles for several minutes. He said, quote, <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. When you are selected to become the voice of an electorate, you have a huge responsibility to be policing your words and representing your, con your constituents at the best of your ability. <laughs> the balls of a Trump supporter raging against an elected official not policing his words. What the fuck? Me. Real big. What's that? Besides your brass balls. <laughs> That's either head in the sand level 100 or hypocrite level 100 right there. It's amazing that Trump has made it okay to say whatever you want with no filter unless you're, what you're saying disagrees with him. Here we go again, conservatives being the champions of free speech. Now, Hammond issued an apology, and I guess he should have. I'm not sure. But the comments of the post cracked me up. How about this prompted a trumpet to call Obama the N-word? <laughs> Trump is so racist that a story about one white guy verbally attacking another is licensed for a racist to call Obama a racial slur. Then there were Bible quotes. Bible quotes defending the atheist president. Proving that Christians are so used to being sheep, they'll follow a shepherd that doesn't even believe in their mythology. Shame! You are all sheep. Bah. But most of the comments how he should be locked up. And I'm betting that most trumpets are thinking this, but let me ask you. Did you feel that way when Ted Nugent threatened Obama twice, Hillary, and Feinstein? No? Shocking. Obama becomes the president in November again, I will either be dead or in jail by this time next year. But now he's tired of the hatred. <laughs> now no one gets arrested unless the Secret Service believes you're an actual threat and or planning on attacking the president. This is why Nugent is free, as well as every person since the McCarthy era that has made a crack about doing something to the president. There's no judicial precedence 
for convicting someone that isn't actually plotting against the president. And if you believe in small government, you shouldn't want that. If saying something threatening about the president gets you locked up, even if they know you're not actually plotting anything, then what's the line of something being a threat? If I were to say, if Trump grabs my daughter by the pussy, I'll break his neck, is that a threat? It required Trump to grab my daughter first, or are you saying I'm not allowed to defend my daughter? If you don't think it's a threat, are you not worried that if we lock up people that aren't actually planning to do the present harm, that this statement could warrant being locked up? If you want people locked up for things like this, then at least you admit you want huge government. Big. Huge. But just remember, your party will not always be in control. And what happens when the other side has power and they start locking up the nugents of the world? We need to draft laws that protect us when we are in the minority. This next one's for the Raw story, July 19th, 2017. Watch NRA TV hosts warn white families will be tortured and killed if Black Lives Matter succeeds. Ooh, fear-mongering. Ooh, do it again. Fear-mongering. <laughs> Grant Stitchfield, a host on the NRA's online television network, made more incendiary comments about Black Lives Matter activists allegedly stoking, quote, racial hatred against white people. Oh shit, here we go! It's on! Race war! Race war! Race war! Race war's on, everybody! It's going down! Shit is going down! So this guy goes on a fear-monger rant about how black people are coming for him. Shocking! A voice of the NRA that's terrified of black people. Let's take a listen. Uh, race relations are strained here in America after eight years of Barack Obama. Thanks, Obama. But nowhere is near as bad as it is in South Africa, where white farmers are being tortured and killed almost every day in racist violence. This is why these people need to be armed all the time. They're afraid 24-7. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. And note, during this rant, neither him nor his guests will provide any evidence to back up the claim that white farmers are being murdered every day in racist violence. You think a white genocide would get the world's attention? It is a warning for the United States that you will never hear from the mainstream media in this country. Veteran Army Ranger and Frontlines correspondent Chuck Holton joins me more uh, with more on this. Chuck, I know you've been looking into this particularly and doing some research, and really the, the things that, that we're starting to learn are frightening. And I guess it's not shocking that the mainstream media is not talking about this. Just what do you want from me anyway? Permission to be a fake? Stop whining. Right. You know, the parallels between what's happening in South Africa and the, the blatant racism and violence that we're seeing from people like the Black Lives Matter crowd, from people like Louis Farrakhan and his uh, minions. Assemble the minions! Again, no citation for these claims. Uh, it is happening in spades in South Africa. The, the uh, violence against farmers is being called for by, uh, by government officials. Uh, it's being celebrated by politicians. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the scary thing is... I'm guessing the scariest thing is going to be the fact that people buy bullshit like this with no evidence to back it up. It's kind of a warning for what could happen in the United States if we continue to let this get out of control, uh, to go down this path 
of, uh, you know, just this racial tension, this racial hatred that is being foisted uh, on the American culture by the Black Lives Matter crowd. Oops, guess I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I was at this uh, very peaceful march over the weekend, this women's march, and there were a lot of Black Lives Matter people there. And, uh, you know, when you talk to people, they're all angry about this video that Dana Lash put out that said that, hey, when you go around and break things and burn cars and spray paint buildings, that you leave the police no choice but to do their job. And somehow that was equated as a call for violence. That's not a call for violence. That's saying when you act like an idiot, the police come and do what the police are supposed to do when you act like an idiot, and that is arrest you. I'm a cop, you idiot. I'm going to leave a link to the Dana Lash video because it's awesome. He's pretending that it's an issue of Black Lives Matter being upset that she says that acting out in violence will make the police do their jobs. But watch the video. First, watch the pure hatred in her eyes. It's chilling. Second, they use footage of violence that has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter or the U.S. They're just looking at the image on the screen with their words. As you know, everyone will assume it's footage of a liberal protest. There's actually been very little violence at liberal protests. But this ad is attempt to make it look like violence during these protests is the norm. And the end of the video, she almost burns her eyes in the camera when she says, The only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. Do you want me to believe this isn't a call for violence? Again, you have to see the bone chilling look of hatred in her eyes. I'm going to have fucking nightmares for months. <laughs> The best part is that the violence they're reacting to happened in Germany. So this U.S. group, the NRA, needs to prepare to defend themselves against violence in Germany? <laughs> okay. I'm also going to link another video where Tucker Carlson interviews Leish, and it's fucking amazing. Number one, he cuts out the end of the video that I played here, and it ends with the part about the police doing their jobs. What's funny is, if Fox News didn't think her words were called violence, why would they cut out the video before the line about clenched fists? Interesting, eh? And then he plays the BLM response. And it's basically saying, we will use the First Amendment and keep demonstrating until we can solve this problem. Sounds pretty reasonable, eh? And the big issue is, at the end, they demand the NRA take down this video. The NRA makes a very threatening video, and again, if you don't find the audio threatening, watch the video because... Because, damn. And BLM responds to the video that's basically saying, we'll solve this problem peacefully. And the takeaway is that that Lacious video is burning with hatred, while Black Lives Matter's video is all about nonviolence. It's the demand that the NRA takes down the video that's the issue. And if the right wants me to believe that if BLM said, every request that the NRA take down this video that they would have been okay with it then, you're going to have a bad time. And, uh, you know, somehow, like this this guy on, on Fox last night, on Martha McCallum's show, somehow trying to say that that's us calling for violence, it's exactly the opposite. It's us calling out the violent and saying this has to stop. So you wonder, why does BLM take this NRA video personally when it doesn't specifically call them out? Well, here's an NRA voice on an NRA show equating the violence on that video to Black Lives Matter. So their own talking heads see the video as targeted towards Black Lives Matter, but black people shouldn't. This please! And if you want to see why it has to stop, you look at South Africa. Over between three and 4,000 uh, white South Africans have been killed 
in the most horrific ways, uh, brutalized, raped, uh, tortured, drugged behind cars, uh, had drills taken to them, some really horrific things. And Chuck, one, uh, and one common theme here with what's going on in, in South Africa is that it is very hard to get a firearm now in South Africa as well to protect yourself. And right. many of these people that are being victimized uh, need that kind of protection. When we see what's going on in America, specifically California, look, there's another bill in California to limit the one gun a month plan that they have in California to all guns, not just handguns. Okay, so what do you need? Besides a miracle. Guns. Lots of guns. Again, no citation to any of these claims. And of course he enters more guns. Nothing solves violence like guns. It's why the Old West was so safe. I'm going to play another clip that really made me chuckle. If you don't think your Second Amendment rights can be destroyed, just look at California, just look at, at, at Europe, just look at South Africa. And once they take the guns away from you, now look at what's going on. They operate with impunity to do whatever they want to the citizenry, and we're seeing that in South Africa now. <laughs> you don't have a First Amendment right in Europe and South Africa, you narcissistic idiot. Freaking idiot. This is a type of right-wing thing where they don't understand how we're not protected by our constitution in other countries. They don't realize it because they're so xenophobic they never leave America. You see this all the time. Something will happen in like France and the right will show this as proof that your constitutional rights are being violated. I'd like to take a second to expound here a bit about gun control. I'm not anti-gun. When it comes to guns, I'm definitely center, maybe even right of center. I've been a gun owner, I currently don't have any, but I probably will again, and I'd consider getting a CCW at one time. I'm definitely pro more stringent gun control, and at the very least, making it so the departments in charge of enforcing our current gun laws can actually do their jobs, which as of now is nearly impossible. That being said, I'm tired of the NRA's fear-mongering, and the way they disguise racism by wrapping it up in their I-just-want-to-protect-myself jargon. I saw a civil rights activist on the Bill O'Reilly show that said something that really stuck with me. They were discussing gun rights, and the civil rights activist said, Why is it you never heard the NRA say that if Trayvon Martin only had a gun, he'd still be alive? Oh, snap. That really spoke to me, and it stuck with me all this time about how truly ingrained racism is in the pro-gun crowd, and particularly in the NRA. But enough of that. To finish up, I want to drop a funny fact about this Grant Stitcher guy, straight from his page on KLIF, which hosts his show. Apparently it was a car wash called... Quick Car Auto Wash Facility, and replace the QU and Quick with a KW and the C and Car with a K. And you know the original name he came up with was Quick Car Care, spelling care with a K instead of a C. Shalom, Jews. Wow, Dad, where did you get all that glistening chest hair? It came with my Star of David. Peter, what is all this? Look, this is my way of letting you know that I'm embracing who you are. Oh, and I don't respond to Peter. From now on, I want you to use my Hebrew name. Our final story is from everywhere as well, but I'm specifically citing New York Magazine, July 19th, 2017. 43 senators want to make it a federal crime to boycott Israel settlements. I'm going to paraphrase this article a bit. The state of Israel maintains a military occupation in territories that were assigned to the Palestinians by international law. It's mine, you understand? Mine! All mine! Get back in there! Down, down, down! Go, go, go! Mine, mine, mine! <laughs> Palestinian residents of the occupied West Bank are subjected to the discriminatory rule of a foreign army, while their Israeli neighbors enjoy the full rights of citizenship. 
a situation that many former Israeli officers have likened to South African apartheid. Those were the days. Now, that's some strong language, and when you consider it comes from Israeli officials, that really has to make you think. Well, I guess it doesn't have to make you think. There's a whole lot of people out there that showed a great ability to isolate themselves from the need to think. <laughs> la, 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 I am not listening. La, 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 la. Nice, fella. I wonder if he's gay. The United Nations has repeatedly held that what Israel is doing constitutes a violation of international law. So when your xenophobic Uncle Frank starts claiming how Palestinians are solely to blame for what's happening between the Israelis and the Palestinians, bring up this little nugget. I'm willing to bet he has no idea about any of this. Not that it'll matter. In light of these facts, some Americans and American businesses have decided to avoid purchasing goods that were produced by Israeli companies in the West Bank in hope that such a boycott might nudge the Jewish state into compliance with international law. Senators, 29 Republicans, and 14 Democrats, 14 fucking Democrats, want to implement a law that would make it a felony for Americans to support the international boycott against Israel. The two primary sponsors of this bill are Democrat Ben Cardin of Maryland and Republican Rob Portman of Ohio. Perhaps the most shocking aspect is the punishment. Anyone guilty of violating its prohibitions will face a minimum civil penalty of $250,000 and a maximum criminal penalty of $1 million and 20 years in prison. That's right. A group of 43 senators want to pass a bill that could put you in prison for 20 years for the crime of exercising your First Amendment rights. But hey, I keep hearing that as some excitable college students on a couple campuses in the U.S. are the real threat to free speech. The proposed measure called the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, S-720, was introduced by Cardin on March 23rd. The bill was drafted with the assistance of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, AIPAC. The bill's co-sponsors include the senior Democrat in Washington, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, his New York colleague Christine Gilbrand, and several of the more liberal members such as Rod Wyden of Oregon, Richard Plumethal of Connecticut, and Maria Cantwell of Washington. Illustrating the bipartisanship that the AIPAC typically summons, it also includes some of the most right-wing senators such as Ted Cruz of Texas, Ben Sass of Nebraska, and Marco Rubio of Florida. Well, sometimes bipartisanship isn't the solution. It's the problem. The ACLU made an official statement denouncing the bill. They noted that businesses and individuals who do no business with Israel for purely pragmatic reasons would not be subject to criminal punishment only those that do so on the basis of their political beliefs, which is to say, quote, the bill would punish businesses and individuals based solely on their point of view. Such a penalty is in direct violation of the First Amendment. Oh, that pesky First Amendment. I just want all you pro-Israel people out there to tell me if you support this trash bill, and if so, how do you justify it? All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. What's really fucking funny is that some of the lawmakers that signed off on this bill aren't comfortable with the idea of punishing people for, quote, allowing their beliefs about Israel policy to dictate their consumption habits. And it seems many didn't even read it. Basically, a bill with the AIPAC's name on it was put in front of them, and they just signed it. If you'll just sign here, here, and here, initial here, and print your name here, we'll get the rest of the forms out to you as soon as we can. Think of how afraid elected officials are of appearing anti-Israel that they'll just quickly sign any piece of legislation that is pro-Israel because apparently even taking a second to read the bill may make you look like an anti-Semite. Anti-Semite? 
This is the best part. Some of the senators that signed it have no idea what's in the bill. Oh, uh, what's in the... God damn it, Bill! What's in the fucking... God damn it, Bill! Democratic Senator Gary Peters of Michigan, for instance, seemed bewildered when told of the ACLU's letter saying, what's the act? You have to get back to me on that. What? Excuse me? Huh? What are you talking about? I'm so damn confused. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not joking. This is my job. I'm from Michigan, or what I like to call the Kentucky of the North. The greatest day of my life was on May 23rd, 2016. That's the day I escaped from that backwards garbage state. One of the great states in this union where it's still legal to fire a person because they're gay. A state that had legalized gay marriage for a single day before the state attorney general could get a stay on that order. That is pure Michigan. Straight from the article, perhaps the most stunning is our interview with the primary sponsor of the bill, Democratic Senator Benjamin Cardin, who seemed to have no idea what was in the bill, particularly insisting that it contains no criminal penalties. Holy shit, is that fucking insane or what? I'm in a position where I won't vote Republican again until they shake the stranglehold the evangelical right has on the party. What are you doing? You're joking me! But it's frightening that Israel is such a stranglehold on our entire government that people would rather sign a bill that could destroy our free speech than take any time at all to read and understand it for fear of looking anti-Israel. This article ends with a snarky comment that I just fucking love. It's understandable that our senators don't have time to read every bill they sponsor. These people have a lot on their plates. For example, on Tuesday, the Senate held hearings on the threat that campus protests pose to First Amendment rights in the United States. Aha! Aha! What do you know from funny, you bastard? Ah, oh, that's just fucking delicious. These morons are terrified of the impact teenagers on college campuses are having on free speech while simultaneously putting their names on a bill that is the biggest threat to free speech that I can recall in my lifetime. Apparently, there's a similar bill in the House. So I looked into that, and I found this story on Boston.com, also from July 19th. Republican Joe Kennedy III reviewing controversial Israel anti-boycott bill he supports following ACLU concerns. And they keep saying it's similar, but it punishes for the exact thing, and it has the exact maximum penalty of 20 years and a $1 million fine for this felony. How fucked up is it that not buying products made in Israel could be a felony? Now that's fucked up. I'm not sure how they'll enforce this. Maybe they'll get search warrants for all of our houses or have feds at the exits of every store to check receipts. And if they don't find any products labeled made in Israel, they'll cuff you and haul you off to jail. And now after my anti-Michigan rant, I see that Kennedy is one of two Massachusetts congressmen listed as co-sponsors. Son of a bitch. The other is Republican Richard Neal. And I guess his office lacked the courage to even respond to the questions about this bill. Now, I find it funny to all these conservatives out there that are trying to act like it's the Democratic Party that are the threats to free speech have actually jumped on this Senate bill with quotes like, Democratic-sponsored bill is threat to free speech. What's fucking amazing about that is this bill has two main sponsors, one Democrat and one Republican, and has been signed off by 43 senators, 29 Republicans and 14 Democrats. So to a conservative, a bill with two sponsors, one from each party, and has just over twice as many Republican co-sponsors, is a Democratic bill that proves that they are the real threat to free speech. Let's see now. Mice don't like cheese. And mice want cat to eat them. Now then, 
cat don't want to eat mice. But cat wants dog to massacre him. It just don't add up! And the House bill has the support of 237 representatives, 63 Democrats and 174 Republicans. That's nearly three times the Republicans over Democrats. Don't get me wrong, all of the Democrats that have signed off on these bills make me sick. You disgust me. Go on. But if you look at these two bills that have a combined sign-off of 77 Democrats and 203 Republicans, it makes it crystal clear which party is the real threat to free speech. And what's really frightening, apparently the bill just broadens two existing laws. I've linked a wiki article that discusses those laws instead of boring you here. I'm also linking a Washington Post article and two links to every senator and representative that have signed off on each of these bills. Fuck partisanship. All of these fuckers need to be voted out of office on their next election. Every fucking one of them. Well, that's the show. Thanks, everyone, for giving me a bit of your time. If you enjoyed the show, you can support it by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Skeptical Junkyard Podcast where you'll get an earlier extended version of the show, along with some extras depending on your level of donation. And as a thank you, I will compliment you on the show in any way you want. And 10% will go to modestneeds.org. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the PayPal icon on the right side of our homepage at the skepticaljunkyardpodcast.com. If you can't afford to donate, then leave a five-star review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you have any feedback or criticism, please send them to the Skeptical Junkyard Podcast at gmail.com or our Facebook page, or you can tweet us at SJYBulldog, or leave me a voicemail at 857-302-2SJY. That's 857-302-2759. I'll take any input seriously as I want to provide you with the best content possible, and any interesting or funny emails or voicemails will be used in the show. All of these will be linked to our homepage along with links to the stories from this episode. Until next week, this is the Junkyard Bulldog saying... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum.